Hey, everybody. Oh, thank you. Great to see all of you here at our Banksville campus. Uh, great to be seen by those of you at our other campuses. You know, this week I was reading an article about some recent research from Lifeway. It's a research organization, and they had done a survey about prayer in America. So, of course, since we're in this whole prayer thing, I was interested, and uh, what they discovered is maybe somewhat surprising, maybe not so surprising. First of all, America is certainly a praying nation. The vast majority of Americans, well over 80% of Americans pray. Probably not that surprising, but only 42% of us, a little less than half, actually just pray one day a week, right? And then 31% of us, less than a third, ever pray more than one time in a single day. They also discovered that when we pray, 36% of us pray specifically for our own prosperity, right? For God to do good things, good things to happen, good things to turn out, while less than 10% of us pray for our government leaders or for our enemies, which, by the way, are two very specific things that the Bible tells us we should be praying about. But what really surprised me and actually broke my heart was that only 25% of us, only one in four of us actually believe that God hears and responds to all our prayers. So my point is that there is a real disconnect between what we believe about prayer or what the Bible teaches about prayer and the way that we pray. Because prayer was never meant to be just part of a once a week religious ritual. It was never meant to be just something we do when we have a need or, or things are going bad. Prayer was always meant to be an integral daily part of every part of our lives. The Bible teaches that prayer is to be the foundation on which we align our hearts, our minds, and our lives with our Creator, God. And so that's really what this 21-day uh, prayer journey we're doing here at Cedar Creek is all about. It's literally about taking, helping all of us take a next step in developing a long-term lifestyle of prayer. Like wherever you are in being a prayer or in your prayer life, we can all take a next step in it being more deeply woven into every aspect of our lives. And so to kind of help us do that, we have literally been walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer. This incredible model prayer that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray in Luke 11. And it's also the same prayer that Jesus taught to the masses in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6. And so we've been walking through this prayer, discovering a lot of good insight on prayer, right? If you remember, we've discovered, first of all, that prayer starts with an intimate connection with God. When Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, he wanted us to understand that we were not crying out to some distant cosmic force somewhere out there in the universe. 
nor were we begging for scraps from some angry, unpleasable tyrant that we were talking with our Heavenly Father, our Abba. It's an intimate relationship, therefore it should be an intimate conversation. Jesus also taught us that prayer is an expression of surrender to our Father in heaven. And that's important to understand because let's be honest, most of the time we pray to try to bend God's will to our desires rather than trying to bend our desires to fit with God's will. That's why Jesus said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then of course last week we, we discovered that prayer is an expression of dependence on and trust in God. When Jesus said, pray, give us each day our daily bread, he wanted us to understand it. We, we were not just asking God for just enough food to get through another day, that we were expressing that we recognize that God is the source of all of our needs, physical, emotional, relational, and that we can trust him, that he cares, he loves us, he's able, and he's more than willing to meet our basic needs. And so if you have missed any of these messages, just please go back on the website or the app, catch up with us because there's so much stuff in there that can help us be more effective in our prayers. Now, what I want to do today is I want us to look at prayer as a pathway to freedom. That when we pray, it is an opportunity for us to experience the freedom that God desires for us in our lives. And we see that in the very next line of the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11, verse 4. Jesus said, when you pray, pray and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What are you saying when you pray that phrase? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Well, most of us think of it as sort of a religious transaction between us and God. It's a transaction for forgiveness that as we forgive others, in the process of forgiving others, we then are able to receive God's forgiveness. God forgives us based on the way that we forgive others. And that is certainly part of what that line is saying. In fact, the Bible is crystal clear. Don't miss this. There is a connection between the way we forgive and the way God forgives us. In fact, Jesus told a whole parable about that. It's known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus said there was a man who owed the king millions of dollars, a huge debt, a debt that no matter what, he wasn't going to live long enough to be, even be able to repay it. He could never repay it. So he throws himself on the mercy of the king to be forgiven his debt, and remarkably, the king forgives him, wipes the slate clean. And then Jesus said, this guy goes out, immediately finds another servant who owes him a couple of hundred bucks and demands that he be repaid. And when the guy can't do it, doesn't have the money, this unforgiving servant has this man thrown into jail. Word gets back to the king that the man he had forgiven millions wouldn't forgive another man a couple of hundred bucks. And the king was furious. In fact, Jesus said he grabbed him up by the collar and threw him in jail, turned him over to 
the jailer. So obviously, there is a connection between our willingness to forgive others and our ability to receive God's forgiveness. So I don't want you to miss that, but I think there's more to this part of the prayer. I think this is so much more than just some transaction between us and God over forgiveness. I think Jesus also wants us to understand that forgiveness is the key to experiencing the freedom of God in our lives. So let me begin by asking you a question. What is holding you back in your life right now? What is keeping you from living your best life? What's holding you back in your relationships? What's holding you back in your career? What's holding you back in your emotional health? I think most of us would immediately think of external things holding us back. Well, it's the economy, Philip. It's just the, you know, the inflation and how much it costs and eggs are, are breaking the bank. Or, or you would say, you know what, Philip? It's my boss. He's holding me back in my career, or many of you would say it's those lousy, no good politicians up in Washington, D.C. They're holding us back, or it's my current financial situation. But here's the truth. What holds us back is almost always internal, not external. We think about the external things, but the truth is it's the things in us. In fact, I believe the two biggest barriers to living the great, abundant, full life that God desires for you is guilt and resentment. Guilt over your own sin, your mistakes, your bad choices, your bad decisions, stupid things you've done, and resentment over the hurtful things that other people have done to you. And here's the reason I believe that's what holds us back. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Look at Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Did you know God has marked out a race for your life? In fact, he marked out your race even before the foundations of the earth. God has a race for you to run, and it is the perfect race designed just for you. It's the only place you'll find fulfillment in your life. The problem is most of us are either trying to run our own race or we're trying to run the race that others think we should run. Many of us are being held back because we're, we're running after what's important to us, what we think will fulfill us, or we're just trying to keep somebody else happy, right? You know, we say all the time, God loves you and everybody else has a plan for your life, right? Your wife, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, right? And so what I want to do is you to begin to understand when Jesus says, pray, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, he's giving us the key to unlock ourselves and finally live and run the race in freedom that God has marked out for us. So what do I want to do over the 
next few minutes is I want us to get really practical. I want us to get into the how-tos. How do you break the chains? How do you get past the guilt over your past or the pain that others have caused you? So let's start with our own sin, breaking the chains of our own sins, because let's be honest, we all got sin, right? None of us are immune to sin. I've never, ever in my life met a person who thought they were perfect. Now, I met a lot of people who thought they were better than others and didn't sin as much as others, but we all have sin in our lives. The problem is not that we sin. The problem is how we try to deal with that sin. Denial, repress it, suppress it, blame others for it, or our favorite tool, rationalize it, right? You know what rationalizing is, right? The rational lies we tell ourselves. Well, it's not that bad. Everybody else is doing it. Well, I'm not as bad as the problem is trying to deal with our sin in that way. It doesn't get rid of it. It's still there. The only way to be free from the sin in your past and the guilt over it that keeps weighing you down is to confess it. Confess it. In fact, look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, you read that word confess, and what do you think of? What does confession look like in your mind? If you grew up in the Catholic church, you're thinking of that little box over on the other side with the screen where you have to, you know, get forgiveness from the priest. If you watch a lot of uh, police TV shows, you're thinking of the, the suspect sitting in the interrogation room, the bright light in his eyes, and the investigator hammering away, and he finally goes, okay, I'm it, I did it. He confesses it. But that word confess, the Greek word that the Bible uses for confess, is, is much more layered. It's much more to it than that. It's actually a compound word. The word confess is a compound Greek word. It's the word homo legeos. Homo legeos. Homo means same. Legeos means word or truth of God's Word. You remember when John wrote in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God? That's that word logos. In other words, confess means the same as God's Word, agreeing with God's Word. To confess simply means to see yourself and your actions through the unchanging truth of God's Word. Not compared to everybody else, not compared to what the culture says, to align your life and your actions to say, the Bible says that, God's truth, his logeo says that, I must agree, I must be the same as. That's what it means. To look at your behaviors and choices in the past through the truth of God's word. So how do we do this? How do you align? How do you homologeos? How do you confess? Four things. I call these the four R's of confession. You might want to write these down. The four R's of confession. One, review. Review. In other words, take an honest assessment of your life. A rigorous assessment of your decisions, your choices, and your 
thoughts. To, to literally sit down and say, God, show me based on the standard of your word where I have not measured up in my choices, in my decisions, and my thoughts. What doesn't, in, what in my life has not aligned with your word? Ask yourself, what is it that I really feel guilty about? What's putting that weight on me? And then write it down. In a journal somewhere, just, just write it down. You say, wait a minute, Phil, can't I just think about it and confess it in my mind? Why do I have to write it down? Here's why I want to encourage you to do that. Because it's only when you write it down does it become tangible. Now it becomes real. Now you've put it on paper and made it real. I understand it's not easy, but I believe it is essential to be honest, take an honest assessment. Let me put it this way. You'll only stop defeating yourself when you finally stop deceiving yourself. Let me say that again. You'll only stop defeating yourself when you finally stop deceiving yourself. Got to come clean. In fact, I love this prayer from King David, Psalm 139. David prays and he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He said, I'm an open book, Lord. You know when David prayed this? It was after he had had his affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed in order to cover it up. And then he kind of tried to run from it and pretend it didn't happen, to deny it, to rationalize it. And it just kept jacking up his life. It was ruining his relationship. It was ruining his family. It was ruining his leadership as king. And when he finally comes clean, he experiences the freedom in that forgiveness. And so he prays daily now, Show me, God. That's why David's a man after God's own heart. Not because he had less sin than other people in his past. He was just willing to be honest with himself and with God. Confession starts with review. The second R, repent. Repent. We know that word or we hear it a lot, right? It's a religious term. You see it on poster boards outside of this. Repent, turn around. But what does it mean? What does it, the Bible mean with the word repent? Three things. One, it just means to take responsibility, to stop excusing it, to stop rationalizing it, to stop blaming others for it and own it. And sometimes owning it means you need to make restitution for the damage you've caused. That's part of repentance. Going back to whoever you hurt or whatever you've done or whatever you've broken and doing all that you can do to make restitution except when making restitution would make it worse. There may be a few cases where you can't make restitution. You know, maybe that person's dead or maybe they've remarried and you trying to make it right would just really make it worse for them. But those occasions are not nearly as prevalent as those times when we can make it right. Take responsibility. Repent also means turning away from. And that's literally where the word repent comes. It's a military term that means about face, that I'm no longer pursuing those things. 
I'm not moving towards those things. I'm moving in the opposite direction. I'm going to stop doing it. But repentance is not just turning away. It's also turning to. And that's the third thing that repentance is. It's turning to God's grace. Turning away from the sin and turning to God's grace. I don't keep wallowing in it. I don't keep focusing on it. I just simply turn my back on it and embrace God's grace. I love this verse from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. And then look what repentance does. It leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Do you see the freedom in that? You review you repent. The third R is you receive. receive. Just receive God's forgiveness. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to bargain with God. You don't have to try to bribe God for your forgiveness. He wants to give it to you probably more than you even recognize how much you need it. Stop praying, dear Lord, please, 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 please forgive me of my sin. Or, or God, if you know, if you forgive me, I'll never do that again. We bargain with God. Or God, if you forgive me, I'll tithe 20% this year to the church. Now, you can tithe 20%. I encourage you if you want to do that. But it's not necessary to receive God's forgiveness. Just receive it. In fact, look what the Bible says, Hebrews 4, 16. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you know the difference between grace and mercy? Mercy is what God gives us to forgive us from our past. Grace is the power God gives us to live differently in the future. And when we come to him, and repent and receive. He forgives us of our past and he pours out his grace so we can live differently in the future. So review, repent, receive. The final R, repeat. Repeat, repeat early and often. Understand repentance is never a one and done thing. Repentance is something we need to do daily and sometimes hourly. Why? Because sin is daily a part of our lives. Parents, those of you with infants, young children, when do you change their diaper? When it's dirty, right? In fact, as a new grandparent, I've learned a valuable lesson. Never put off changing a dirty diaper. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. For the same reason you take out the trash when it's full, because if you don't, it builds up and stinks. The same reason, hopefully, you take a bath on a regular basis. Why? Because you get dirty and stinky every day. In fact, if you don't do that, that may be why you're sitting out by yourself and nobody's sitting with you this morning, right? Same way with confession. I love how David puts it in Psalm 32, 3. He says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. 
and I groaned all day long. The greatest holdup to healing your hang-ups is you. It's not other people. You're not waiting on God. You're not waiting on somebody else to get their act together. God is waiting on you to confess so that he can give you the freedom you need. So can I just ask you right now, what are you pretending not to know that you really do know? What are you pretending is not a sin, but you know deep down it is? Even though everybody else is doing it and culture is approving it, what, what is God's Word saying? What are you pretending doesn't bother you when you know deep down it's bothering you? Jesus is offering the keys to unchain yourself from your past and experience the freedom of his forgiveness in your life. But that freedom is not just found in God's forgiveness for our sins. Jesus said that freedom is also found in forgiving those who have sinned against us. I think most of us, if we're honest, would recognize not only is it our sin that entangles our lives, but it is often the sin of others that hinders us from moving forward. It keeps us from running the race marked out for us, from living the life God planned for us. We're hindered by the resentment we carry over the pain and hurt that others have caused us. Whether that pain was intentional or unintentional, somehow we've convinced ourselves that by holding on to that grudge, by continuing to nurse and rehearse and wallow in that hurt, that somehow we're hurting that person back, that we're sticking it to them, we're paying them back by being miserable, right? It's like the toddler who throws a tantrum mad at his parents and goes, well, if you don't give me what I want, I'm just gonna hold my breath. Like, yeah, good luck, have fun, right? Kind of hurting yourself more than you're hurting anyone else. See, the truth is we are chaining ourselves to the very people who hurt us if we're unwilling to forgive and let it go. You know, it's interesting. I was telling you about that parable that Jesus told about the unforgiving servant. Jesus said when the king heard he had not forgiven the servant that owed him, it says he turned him over to the jailers. But the word for jailers that the Bible uses literally means torturers, torturers. And many of us are in a self-imposed torture chamber because we keep nursing and rehearsing the pain that others cause us. Look at Hebrews 12, 15. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So how do you do that? How do you set yourself free from the pain of others? How do you really let it go when letting it go seems impossible? Now, I realize for some of us here today, the pain and the wounds that others have caused us 
We're not talking about they just hurt my feelings or they just, you know, did something bad. Some of you are dealing with significant trauma that others have caused you, maybe from your childhood, maybe from a parent or spouse. And please, one, first of all, understand, I am so sorry. Those are unbelievably deep wounds that continue to affect you every day. And please hear my heart. I am not minimizing it. I'm not saying, well, just forgive them and let it go. Just do these three steps that I'm going to tell you and it'll all be better. No, there are some wounds and traumas that you need somebody to help you begin to let it go. It's one of the things I love about Cedar Creek. We have incredible licensed professional Christian counselors who can help you do that. And if you're continuing to struggle with a trauma from your past that's jacking up your present and your future, don't keep trying to let it go on your own. Get help. But whether it's deep trauma or just the normal scars of life, whatever the depth of pain and resentment, at some point, the only cure is forgiveness, to let it go. And so let me quickly give you three keys to letting it go. Three things you have to do to let it go. One, you got to leave it to God. Leave it to God. What do I mean by that? I mean, you must relinquish your right to get even. Being willing to trust that God is just and He is better at making things right than you will ever be. That's why Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Now we read that and we go, oh, I like that verse. I'm going to turn God loose on him. He's a much better smiter than I am. He can really give it to him more than I can. But understand, this verse is not telling you you can use the God of the universe as your own personal attack dog to hurt the people that hurt you. This verse is an expression of trusting God to make right what is not right and that you will never be able to make right. You got to leave it to God. Secondly, you got to heal it with grace. You got to heal it with grace. You know, I said earlier, mercy is what God gives us to forgive us from the sins of our past. And grace is the power He gives us to live differently in the future. That's what I'm talking about. Heal it with grace. God's grace allows you to live the life you were intended to live even when things in your life are not as God intended them. Can I say that again? Grace allows you to live the life God intended for you, even when things in your life are not as God intended them to be. And here's why this works. When you live in that grace and the power of that grace, it allows you to live controlled by God's Spirit in you rather than the people and circumstances around you. I don't think we realize just how much we allow ourselves to be controlled by others, often by the people who were the ones that 
wound us. I mean, think about this. How many times have you said this? You make me so mad. You ever said that? Do you understand what you're saying? You're saying, I give you power over how I feel. You control whether I'm mad, happy, sad, joy-filled. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we don't live in that grace, we are controlled by others. That's why Paul, who, by the way, dealt daily with people who tried to discredit and destroy him, who lived in circumstances that were less than ideal, and yet he says in 2 Corinthians 12, God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is big enough for your trauma, for your pain, for your struggle, and it frees you to live as God intended, even when nothing in your life is the way God intended. And then finally, number three, and this is a biggie, the third thing you got to do, at some point, you just got to nail it to the cross. Whatever it is, you got to nail it to the cross. So I think as Christ followers, sometimes we forget just how powerful the cross of Jesus is. We know Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. I just think we forget when Jesus died on the cross, it broke the power of sin in our lives. Not just the power sin our sin has over our lives, but it broke the power of the sin of others in our lives. In fact, that's why we have crosses located at the front of all of our campuses. That's why we have little pieces of note paper and pens up there and little thumbtacks to give you an opportunity at any time you want to come and symbolically nail it to the cross. Whether it's some sin you've struggled with, some persistent sin you've dealt with for years that keeps jacking up your life, or whether it's the pain somebody else caused you to symbolically say, I believe the freedom that God provides comes through forgiveness. In fact, you can do that today as we wrap up the service at our campuses during the response time. You want to come forward and do that? That's great. Do it. Bring that, whatever it is. Or maybe if you're not comfortable during the service, when the service is over, they're still there. It's a great way to express today, I'm going to live in the freedom that God provides. You know, each week in this series, because we don't want to just talk about prayer, we want to do some praying. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We're just going to walk through it kind of line by line and then spend a little time actually praying what we're saying. So let's say this prayer together. You ready? Start with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you just spend a moment focusing on your father? He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with you. He's your Abba, your Poppy. And he's inviting you to climb up into his lap. And as you do, you begin to feel safe enough to surrender your will to His. Just pray that right now.
Now let's pray this next line together. Give us today our daily bread. Would you just tell your father your needs? What are your needs? Trust him. Trust him to meet those needs. Lay them at his feet. pray together these words we looked at today. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Find that freedom right now. of it together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. You continue to respond as God leads you.